Hello, and welcome to this very special episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Katherine Troyer, and as always, I am joined by Tony Tresca. Hey there. But who cares about Tony? Because more importantly, I and Tony are joined by <laughs> these incredible authors. Christopher O'Halloran, Anthony Frost, Carson Winter, and Alex Wolfgang. Hello. 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 And I just realized I didn't ask you, is it Wolfgang or Wolfgang? I should have asked that important question. Oh, you're fine. It's uh, Wolfgang. Gang. Okay. German was the language I chose. So they're like, you say everything wrong. So I've just learned to say things differently. <laughs> These four authors came together in all of their infinite wisdom to collaborate on the 2021 novella collection, Bloodlines, Four Tales of Familiar Fear. And you can see that Tony has it there. Bloodlines manages that rare feat of the anthology. It offers four stories that stand on their own as unique nightmares, while simultaneously building a collection of stories that are made the richer for their being alongside one another. The authors, each talented in their own rights, seem to know that the true magic of horror is, like any good family, complicated, complex, and terrifying. Read separately, the stories let you explore everything from domestic horror to cosmic horror. Together, the stories, and by extension, their smart authors, remind you that home is where the heart, that bleeding and broken heart, lies. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Before I introduce you all individually, because we're going to do that too, I want to stop talking for a second. Um, I'm going to let Tony just talk about the thing that caught their attention. Then we can hear from you, and then I will be sure to introduce you more officially. Yeah, so right off the bat, I just loved the way that the book started right from the get-go, the opening dedication that you guys just said. The book is dedicated to all the indie writers, the aspiring wordsmiths, the amateur storytellers. That's what we are, four dudes who met on the internet and threw a collection together around a common theme. Anyone can do it, really. That's three sentences. Now go write a book. I just knew right from there that I was... As I was reading, it was going to be a really special book because it just was clear you guys just loved doing this. And so my first initial question uh, that we can use to introduce each of you and just get the conversation starting is like, I just would love to hear a little bit more about this publication process and how the four of you, uh, self-described four dudes who met on the internet, came together to write this collection. Uh, Carson, you want to take, take this one? Yeah, this one. yeah I'll jump in. It. I actually like to talk the most of everybody here. So uh, <laughs> so the um, project started on a common Discord that we were all a part of. And um, it really just kind of came from a sense of, uh, you know, stagnation within uh, being in the submission game as an amateur writer. You know, you're constantly waiting for stories to come back. You're going against 500 other authors. Um, all, all of them very talented. You're going against the authors you admired um, in the first place that got you into the game at all. So when writing horror or anything, you're spending a lot of time waiting um, and you're spending a lot of time getting rejected. That's just kind of the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. So I just was kind of like, hey, fuck it. Like, anybody want to do something with me? Like, let's let's make <laughs> a project. Let's do something fun. Like, um, for me, I've... Um, I've always kind of had my fingers in the punk rock scene. Um, and I'm very, I'm, I'm a, do a devotee of the idea of DIY. I think sometimes you just gotta like, you just gotta make something, you gotta do something cool. So I put the feelers out there, 
these three fine gentlemen responded and said, yes, I want to do something. We started a um, horrific group chat um, that has only grown more horrific over the last um, seven to eight months. There are graphics that are graphic. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, essentially, we just kind of joined together. We talked about what we wanted to do. We kind of landed on the idea of doing uh, novelettes because they're especially hard to sell. Mm -hmm. And um, we saw what some of us already had um, and what some of us wanted to do. And then we just kind of we did it. And that was it. That's so great. Anyone want to offer the other version of the history in case Carson got anything wrong? <laughs> I think that's spot on. Excellent. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> that I know. I know. I was. Uh, I thought that Alex came up with the idea a long time ago, but I think it was Carson. You yeah, know. we pulled receipts. This comes up like every two months. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to correct myself every time. I have to correct myself because you know. That's my eternal embarrassment. <laughs> well, it wasn't it, it even came, that long ago, too, and we just keep forgetting. Yeah. Yeah. It came together really, really quickly, like over the course of a single day. So it was kind of a quick rush. But I think we were all there, like in the writer's room, uh, just kind of chatting. And it, the, the, the group chat followed like within a couple of hours. So um, yeah, it worked out great. Were these all original to this collection stories, or were some of these previously written? Um, I uh, I had mine written a few years ago, and I think Alex, you did too, right? You had yours. Yeah, yeah. I, mine was about a year old, and I'd been submitting it to a few different places, uh, but I couldn't. It was it was so long that it was kind of hard to find places that were even looking for stories that long. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was yeah. It, it it was about a year old, and I think that's that. It was we, since we both had family themed stories, that was kind of how the theme got started, and then Carson and Anthony both wrote to the theme and then we just already had them so that's fantastic would you all be willing to say the the title of of your novelettes mainly because i want to hear how anthony says his title (laughs) (laughs) uh so the title of mine is a nostar tad which is welsh for good night dad that's sweet when you don't know what the book is about yeah 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 (laughs) no kidding (laughs) Uh, mine's called The Heads of Leviathan. And mine is uh, I Am Not To Be re- Replaced. <laughs> mine is Our Migraine. Excellent. So we prepared some questions ahead of time because I never feel like you should pop quiz someone in an interview so that you have some time to think. And we'll just kind of work our way through the questions, Tony, and I'll alternate it. Um, and you can answer as much or as little as you want. We like to start with one that is, uh, you know, sort of the like soft question before we get to the hard hitting like but tell us what scares you uh, so the starter that just kind of like ease into things what is a horror text that you have read or watched or played uh, in the last year that moved you uh, I'll start off with this one um, for me it's definitely going to be The Fisherman by John Langan uh, obviously that's not a 2021 release but I, I just read it for the first time last year and I found it to be incredibly powerful you know it's a weaving together a sort of like folklorish atmosphere with a kind of quite big, strong cosmic horror, uh, but still making the story sort of very human, you know? That sounds lovely. Yeah, it's really good. It's one of the, one of the few cosmic horror stories I've written that I've read that made me cry at the end. So that was quite an accomplishment. Yeah. 
Yeah, rereading it this year, it was it was way better. Once you know what's coming, there's those additional layers that come in, and that book just hammers those home. Was that one of yeah. the the Hal books? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, so for those of you that don't know, um, all of these gentlemen in the way that I know them is through the Hal Society, which I can never remember what all the letters stand for, but it's the Horror Obsessed Writing and Literature Society, and it's a great great community of readers and some of the most prolific writers I think I've ever encountered, let alone horror writers. Uh, what about the rest of you? What have you been reading, watching, uh, playing, and it doesn't have to be a 2021 release that, that's really caught you and moved you this year? Uh, I'll this jump year. on oh. No, Chris, me. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Chris. Battle of the you. Orange Beards. No, go for <laughs> it, dude. Um, I've actually been making my way through uh, Christopher Buhlman's entire oeuvre. Um, because he uh, what was the first book I read from him it was his uh, medieval one uh, Between Two Fires and um, I got into his uh, contemporary stuff or I guess it's all kind of like dated and um, I've just loved like literally every book he has it either has me in tears at the end or it has me just seething with rage because it's just the injustice I find he's such a good, um, he's so great with the emotions, mm. which is the main thing I look for in a book. And uh, I actually find that he is the closest literature contemporary to my favorite writer director, uh, Mike Flanagan. So I find those two um, creators go hand in hand. Uh, my favorite short story writer, I think probably ever at this point is Brian Evanson. Um, and he had a really, really excellent collection that came out last year called The Glassy Burning Floor of Hell. Um, so that was really inspiring. I think he's one of the few short story authors who's super prolific, but I will like go out of my way to read uh, pretty much anything that I can find from him. I think I've read like four or five of his collections at this point. Um, but yeah, nobody really writes like him and uh, he's constantly an inspiration. So I would say that was probably my favorite book from last year. Great. And I, I would actually, I'd agree with Alex on that one. Um, that's one of my favorite books of the last year I read. But if I was going to do something original and not just piggyback on Alex, uh, mm-hmm. which I occasionally do, um, I would say one I just finished is incredible. And it's actually written by a friend of many of us, uh, Christy Nogles Beulah, yes. I think is a just fantastic debut novel it is so beautifully depicted in the way that she writes characters it's um it's so earnest and empathetic and it's um it's just it's not afraid to just delve into people it is so interested in the people that inhabit the world she's created um and i just think it's it's something that everyone needs to read because it's a really exciting novel um with a lot of emotional resonance and i i think it has the potential to really blow up i love the fact that all of you talk about emotions and and Mm -hmm. and the characters because that's one of my favorite things about about bloodlines right is that even the characters that i'm not rooting for uh they're still so well crafted uh which is just amazing to do in, in the like 50 pages or less that all of you had and it's also so fitting that all of you chose uh, novels or short stories as horror writers yourself. It's awesome that you guys are so deep into reading and consuming horror literature by what's clearly people whom you all respect and even in some cases know, which is very, very exciting. 
it's it's awesome because you run into these writing communities and um so many people want to write without reading and it's crazy i it's it's totally bonkers to me i know carson you've come up with that in your own travels along the internet right oh yeah absolutely i mean there's always um there's always going to be someone who says they want to write but they also don't like reading and it's kind of this symptom of i think being in love with the idea of being a writer that there's this uh very uh potent image of like being on a bench in a on like a really sandy beach with seagulls and shit and you're just <laughs> jotting down your shitty poetry in a a composition booklet and that's, that's not uh, how it works <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's um it's a lovely image but um it doesn't uh it's not necessarily the actual act of writing and i think um you absolutely need to be um immersed in what's happening in fiction today not just yesterday but you need mm -hmm. to know what's going on i think besides you know writing what has really like pushed me as a writer is um finding these writing communities and surrounding me myself with people that are better writers than me i can look at what they're doing i can you know seethe in jealousy for a moment and then <laughs> i can you know get my ass back in the seat and start writing something knowing the tricks they have and knowing what they can do and asking myself you know can i find it within myself to do that too and i know you're in the same uh, boat as me right you your first love was film my first love was acting and this is a good way to to keep your feet in the art form um without relying on so many other people yeah for sure i mean for me i think uh what i realized is i was less attached to a medium than i was in to the notion of storytelling i wanted to be a storyteller somehow um for me earlier it was it was film that i latched on to i really wanted to be a filmmaker because that's how i could tell stories um mostly because that's what i was exposed to the most over time though i kind of realized i was mostly talking a lot of shit about making movies and i never did anything um and that's a real problem when you want to be a storyteller you eventually do have to tell the story <laughs> so that's a uh, that's kind of why I started transitioning to fiction and uh, making it my mission to understand it a lot better so that, you know, I could actually have something to show uh, for my interest. And what's lovely about all four of your stories is they would work very nicely as a cinema. I think particularly Alex, yours would be so beautiful, right? And mm -hmm. we'd have these like beach scenes and, and it would just be so evocative. But the part that makes them all so terrific the, the parts of the of your stories that are so rich are the character development and the insight into the characters that you really it's really hard to do with with most modern filmmaking right um in part because sometimes you have characters like carson's right that are not there and we need to hear their thoughts and you know but mm -hmm. also you know i i think about antony and and your story how we need to to feel along with our main character that that complicated like i love my dad hate my dad love my who do i what right that like relationship that i think many people have uh with a parent uh particularly a parent that's not present right um and i don't know if you any of you would be able to to give it to somebody else to make a film version that would be richer than the stories you've provided tony do you want to start the second question which i promise you we're not using this question to like build a, a list of things to terrorize you with <laughs> <laughs> yeah no there will be no torture we won't be using this against you later none of that but we are interested in hearing a little bit about what scares you in real life and how these fears 
play into your own writing. Obviously, family seems to be something that's a, at least a little scary, but, and you can go elaborate a little on that or take it in a totally different direction. Well, if we uh, want to continue on the family theme, uh, I had my son um, two and a half years ago now, and that introduced a whole whack of things to be scared of, mm -hmm. uh, as, especially once he learned how to walk. And he, he learned how to walk really early, which meant he learned how to run really early, which means he learned how to terrorize me in parking lots really early. <laughs> so oh. he likes to run in between cars and, you know, try and get out of my reach. And uh, he thinks it's all a game, but, you know, these hunks of metal flying towards you, they, they're not playing. So that, that's been the biggest uh, scary thing for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone else? Uh, yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, so I think fundamentally there's two things that really scare me and that really, um, really sort of work their way into my writing. Uh, the first one being, uh, this is probably a bit of a cliche answer, but to a certain extent, I'm kind of scared of myself or more specifically my own capacity for things. Um, like, you know, like everyone's capable of, you know, malevolence in some fashion or other. Um, I, I get a lot of intrusive thoughts um and i'm constantly scared of kind of like consequences for actions i didn't intend you know like uh i think both of those areas are quite ripe for horror like the idea that there's this like little bit of you living in you that um tries to persuade you to do things you don't actually want to do that don't line up with your own ethical standards and then the other thing being that you can just you know do something that seems inconsequential, then someone perfectly innocent might end up suffering because of that, you know, that's, and then the other thing I'm scared of is essentially just power, right? Like power and authority and what it does to the person who holds it. Cause I, I, I'm a big believer in the fact that power corrupts. And that's like something I like to play with a lot in fiction is the idea that power and this sort of desire for power, just, it messes people up. It's like a, it's like a brain disease of some fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I Alex, think... you want to go? Just so I don't talk. <laughs> <You're fine. laughs> yeah. um, mine's kind of similar uh, to Anthony's. I, I think powerlessness and lack of control in, in general uh, sort of freak me out in a, in a sort of abstract and uh, an abstract way, like large scale systems of power, like not being able to comprehend the things, the, the forces that run your life um, that, are, that change the way that, that your daily life goes about. Uh, I think it's really right for cosmic horror in particular. Um, mm -hmm. I think it plays into my story a lot, just the idea that it can kind of be an internal thing or an external thing um, as far as lack of control. Like like Anthony said, not, not, not knowing yourself, not knowing what you're capable of. Um, but in terms of, uh, like, like in my story, you have a character who really is trying to hold everything together, the things that he holds dear, but it's breaking apart in ways that he doesn't really comprehend or doesn't really understand. Um, and that's, that's kind of a theme that I find myself returning to pretty often. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I'm going to bring things down a little bit and uh, say I'm afraid of death um, a lot. Um, it's kind of an obvious one um, for, you know, people, um, everyone who's a person right now. Um, death is very scary to me i think the lack of the ending of consciousness terrifies me um because i do think that um 
being alive is very addictive. You become used to being a lens through which to see the world. And the fact that that lens is going to be shut at some point is terrifying um, because it is the end of you. And it's hard to imagine to the, um, a certain extent. So for me, death is a huge one. Of course, that definitely um, figures into my story for sure. But um, I could say in some ways, though, that my story is almost a little escapist in that way, because um, mm -hmm. there are ghosts. I, I'm, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any afterlife. But uh, in my story, I feel like almost there's a, there is a sense of um, pleasure and escape in dying in that you can um, you, you still have some sort of existence. Um, other than that, though, I'm like really terrified of like roles and identity um the way we're slotted into um our roles in a society and the um everything that goes with that that pushes us towards a destination um i think that's terrifying the way that um your class um or your job can define you in a way yeah wow those answers all fit so perfectly within like the stories that you guys wrote. I, it, I, they, I'm like hearing it and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. I get, I get that a hundred percent. Like uh, Anthony, you're saying this intrusive thoughts. I just immediately thought of the spiral that you established within your short story and just this accent action spiraling out of control, not unintended consequences. Of course, Carson, the replacement. I, but I, and I also love the twist on ghosts within yours. The ghosts are the ones who uh, didn't want to die and were still mm -hmm. craving. And that's how they got stuck there. And Chris, of course, the children within the children having to be in charge is kind of the whole thing of the migraines story as well. And then, of course, Alex, as you said, just that out of controlness that your central character feels. Just yeah. Yeah, I, I teach um, I teach a class that's a it's a creative expression class and my students are writing and making horror all along and, and they'll always be like, but how do I make the perfect horror thing that will terrify everyone? I'm like, no, that's, that's not how it works. You just need to write something that scares you. And then only if for you, it will be horror, right? Like if it's not horror for anyone else, that's okay. And, and I have students, uh, Tony can tell you, I have students who have been like, I've never watched horror ever or read anything. And then others that are like, look at my tattoo. This is how much I love horror, right? And there's no in between. But but this, right, what you all just said, it's it's what makes, it's what made each of your scare stories so terrifying, right? Because I could tell that, that you put them down and were like, whew, got to step away for a second. Like I could feel that that tension, uh, which I think transitions nicely to the, the third question, which is, you know, we all like horror, so we have all set aside the whole, like, what must be wrong with you sort of things that I'm sure we have heard elsewhere quite a bit. But but what is it about the horror genre that seems like the ideal fit for you right now for the, the themes and ideas that you're currently drawn to as a writer? Uh, Anthony, you had a, a really good um, uh, theory about horror on your podcast that I heard the other day. Um, you're talking about horror as a genre not even existing for you. And you said it was a bit of a controversial opinion, but could you elaborate on that? Oh yeah, so this is, um, yeah, this is my own little pet theory that uh, there's no such thing as a horror novel, specifically horror novel. Cause I don't think, cause it's, for me, horror is not a genre as much as it's a sensation. It's a device. Um, 
and you can get away with using that as a sole device in a short story but for anything longer than you know a couple thousand words there needs to be something else some other genre element to sort of tie it together that could be slice of life or mystery i tend to use mystery plots to some extent or mystery elements um but yeah i think the purpose of horror, like horror is a weird thing in terms of a genre because it's not so set in what it is, right? Like pretty much any story can be made into a horror story by altering the perspective. I'm so glad and you I think, said this. I have to, I'm going to let you finish, but I have to tell you, I'm like, yay, I'm not alone in this opinion. Keep going, please. Yeah. So the, the big thing is like, I could just use a really easy example, right? So horror versus urban fantasy. The sole difference is how well equipped the main character is to deal with the weird things and how much they know about it beforehand. That's the sole difference between like a supernatural horror werewolf story and an urban fantasy werewolf story, right? Really, fundamentally it is. And um, so for me, I like exploring the idea of characters who are in far over their heads where everything is overwhelming. And... I also really, really love the aesthetics of, you know, gothic fiction and weird fiction specifically, you know, those kind of things. And I like playing, like, I like throwing in a bit of philosophy and like some weird quantum physics based ideas into my work as well, because I'm just an insufferable nerd. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's got to be horror. Like no one else will have me, basically. <laughs> and I, I feel say- like I'm... Oh, I was just going to say, I've Sorry. been arguing for a very long time that Stephen King doesn't write horror for that very reason, Anthony, that I don't think novel length fiction can sustain that emotion for that long. Not without you hating everything about everything that you're reading, in which case you're probably not reading it to the end. So thank you. I'm just going to start quoting because I keep telling people that and they're like, that's nice. But now I'm going to be like, as the once great and wise Anthony Frost said. <laughs> and so now now I don't have to worry about like people believing me because I can just put all the onus on you. <laughs> Chris, what totally. were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say that as soon as he said that on his podcast, I was like, yes, I, I don't think that's controversial. I totally believe it 100% because I, I don't know, maybe, maybe a, a horror, a true horror novel, you know, it needs to have ebbs and flows, but um, I don't, I don't think I write horror really. Like I, I, I just write uh, stories that are intense in my mind. Like they have horrific moments. Um, uh, Anthony, you were talking about um, like your, your actions having unintended consequences, which is something that I really love in, in the work of Stephen Graham Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have people creating these horrific circumstances totally accidentally. And um Maybe maybe that's what draws me to horror is uh, the same thing that scares you. Mm. Yeah, I think that since it's since horror is a feeling that you're going for, um, it really it opens up the possibility for a lot of abstraction. Um, whatever whatever you're fixating on at, at a certain point in your life, whatever you're thinking about a lot, whatever's freaking you out, there's always a, a million different ways to kind of manifest that that worry that concern that that thought into a horror story i think it works particularly well in short fiction um and i've noticed that more than other genres it seems like you can take it in a million different directions as long as you have that core feeling to it and so it's kind of i like the playground feeling uh the playground aspect to the genre that i that that seems like it's always there yeah like anything can happen right sorry carson no that's right um 
So I think I actually have a little bit of a divergent opinion here, um, but I don't think it really uh, negates anyone else's because um, I, I believe that really how you view um, horror as a genre and why you write it, it's very personal and um, that's um, you can't really be um, too prescriptive with it. For me, I believe horror is um, rather boringly just a collection of tropes and imagery. That's it. Um, it's the same building blocks, the same uh, vocabulary of ideas um, that are kind of seen in different permutations across different genres. I think um, that's all genres really are. Um, you know, you can have a collection of tropes in romance, you can have a collection of tropes in um, horror, science fiction, but you can tell stories of, you know, grief, coming of age, whatever, in all of them. Um, it's just you're using a different vocabulary of images to do it. Um, and for me, why I'm drawn to horror um, is just because I am. I've always liked it. It's that uh, lexicon of ideas that appeals to me naturally. They're the building blocks I reach for when I'm trying to express myself. Is there something about it being more extreme and like the limits kind of being not there that also appeals to you? Um, you know, I'm not like a big, like extreme guy. I think mm -hmm. there are elements to my personality where I do like to push envelopes sometimes is our chat has shown, <laughs> but, um, for the most part, like, I think if anything, you can maybe draw a connection between like anxiety and mental illness or something as, um, being rather connective to, um, the ideas of horror, the images in it, even going back to Poe. Yeah, um, and the gothic sensibility. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And it does seem like a natural fit to explore um, negative emotions if you so experience a lot of negative emotions. Like inoculation, right? Like you are you're yeah. giving your body a small, well, you're giving your mind a small dose of this negative feeling to prepare you for potential exposure to a larger dose of that negative feeling. Yeah, this absolutely. This wonderful article that came out during. Uh, COVID-19, it talked about how horror fans were much better adjusted to this current state of the world due to their exposure to, and the constant exposure to the horror genre. And I think that might be some truth to a lot of what you guys were just saying, expressing that feeling. It allows you to healthily tap into those negative emotions that you are definitely feeling. Right. Absolutely. I think it's also interesting, kind of off that thread, is that... Um, I think horror becomes escapism as the world becomes scarier to us. You guys look back into like the past, like, you know, decade or two, how big like zombie movies and television shows got to. It, it's interesting that nobody's really like scared of being in a zombie apocalypse. Everybody is secretly yearning for it. Um, <laughs> and they're like selling their fucking zombie kits and shit. And they're asking each other, what would you do? Um, yeah. All those doomsday bunker prepper yeah. types. It's yeah. an aesthetic. Yeah, it's like, it's very exciting because people, and this is my theory, they really, really, really fucking hate their jobs. And I blame, <laughs> I blame um, capitalism, essentially. I'm going to put it all on capitalism. Um, and I think that's, it is kind of a scary moment when our, um, our horrific imagery becomes escapes from our like everyday reality. Yeah. Cause we think that it'd be easier to deal with a zombie apocalypse than to deal with taxes. Yes. Uh, yes. 
Yeah, there actually have been several studies that, that have charted, particularly the zombie genre, right? And and just talking about the exponential increase post 9-11, right? And, and just the number of zombie films that emerged after because it was like, you know what? Let's go back to what's much more manageable uh, in its scariness. One of the <laughs> things I, I really like in, about these stories together, because each one separately is really good, but together it's an, it's an outstanding collection, I think is because of how you all are approaching horror differently. Um, Tony and I were talking about the fact that the next t- iteration of my class diff- that I do topic-wise, that, that I need to assign this book, and, and I very much agree, because as I was reading it, even as someone who deals with horror all the time, I was reminded of, of the versatility of, of horror and, and the fact that horror is at its richest when, like you all said, it, it is but one of the many tools at play. In it. And each of you reminded me of, of just what horror can do uh, in very, very different ways. And that's that's an incredible feat to do in in just four, four long short stories. I think that's a great segue into our next question, which is how do you think that bloodlines as a collection what do you think it offers to the reader that extends beyond or would be otherwise different than if readers just read each of your stories individually and in other words why these stories together now you talked a little bit about the publication process and how you came together around the theme but love to hear like what you've been like you guys have gained from like reading of each other's stories and how that shaped your work well, I think uh, oh, for, for my part, sorry. Um, yeah, I think f- f- on my end anyway, like um, I'm not going to lie and say there's some great level of intentionality. Or, like I didn't, you know, put anything out beforehand as such. But I think reading them all together, particularly with the intro as well, um, the intro by Solomon Force, yes. uh, I think uh, the reading experience of the whole book as a unit, it, it is valuable for probably two reasons. The first one being there is a subtle through line throughout all the stories which I don't think was intentional, but it's sort of there anyway, in which like the weirdness builds and pure horror gives way from like from one story to the next. It becomes slightly less pure horror and slightly weirder, which I think is tends to follow my experience of familial relationships as well. Um, I, speaking to that forward, I just want to read like one of the nuggets in there. I love that forward, and I think it really does complement it this idea of like the core of horror is the violation of reality and what's Mm -hmm. more real to us than our family home, the rules and the miniature kingdoms that we've known since birth. Yeah. All of those together. Yeah. Brilliant insight and can really unifies all of it because all of you break reality in very different ways. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think uh, what, what people can glean from this is that, um, there are a lot worse families out there. <laughs> I, I hope that's what they get from it because, you know, over the last few years, we've been spending a lot of time with our families, you know, whether that's in quarantine or just trying to keep your bubble small. So they've been driving us nuts. So when you look at a, a story like Our Migraine and you see the, the things that these three sisters are doing to each other and the way that they're coming apart and breaking apart, I, I hope that's inspirational. Like you look at your sister and you think, well, I would never do that to you. <laughs> See, actually I had a, a response that was very similar to Anthony. I was like, what if it did happen? What if I did do that? So I was like, I suddenly became very afraid of, of what I would do in that situation. Cause I think we all want to be the good sibling. Right. But like, would I, so that, that very much mm-hmm. touched into that fear of like, but I bet I'm not as good as I think I am. It's like what Anthony said about power corrupting, you know, 
if you have that option in front of you, are you going to take it? Are you going to push that button? Yeah. Carson, like Alex. staring down Alex. I'm, I'm trying to decide <laughs> if he's going to talk or I am. Uh, you go for it first. Okay. Um, for me, I think um, the value of the, uh, the stories next to each other is really like a 360 degree view of the family unit um, because while we're all kind of uh, the authors here are bound by um, race and class um, in some ways, I think as we grow as humans, especially in recent years, we be we've become more aware of different situations and we've really been flexing our empathy muscles um, mm -hmm. and becoming more aware that people are just different. People are raised in different environments. And I think um, that's kind of... Uh, something interesting is that with only one story you might not see yourself and your family in a specific story but with all four of us together you can see um, a greater range of experience um, in the family unit and connect to it that way yeah we have two stories that approach you know sibling relationships in totally different ways we've got one that kind of focuses more on the the parent-child relationship um, we've got one that's kind of more the extended family, like the nuclear family plus a few extras. And so, yeah, I think it's it's nice to it's a nice way to acknowledge the fact that there's a million different ways to be a family. And uh, some of the stories even incorporate uh, in-laws, boyfriends and girlfriends of certain characters. And, you know, these are all parts of families that may not be you may not think of in the traditional sense, but functionally they really are. And so. Yeah, I, I, it really wasn't intentional for us to take it in such different directions, but I think that kind of is just sort of evidence, more evidence that there really is a million ways to have a family. Um, so I, I was really pleased with the diversity that we came up with. I love what you said, Carson, talking about using horror to understand people more empathetically. And that was one of the things that I was really fascinated by with while reading the four of your short stories was how empathetically, even when these characters would do some difficult things, make some hard choices. It was always very, treated them very empathetically. And there was a diversity of types of characters and people with different lived experiences working and interacting within different types of family units. And I thought that was really refreshing to see, particularly like there was some queer representation in the family and how does that play into different family dynamics? It's just really great to explore. Yeah, that, that diversity element is just, so refreshing right because i think for for a very long time it was you know about non-white non-male bodies being systematically broken broken and broken again right and and you all uh really allowed us to be reminded that the horror is at its best when we're thinking about intersectionality and then how different aspects of our identities connect both in terms of how we identify our worlds but also how we identify you know those in it and i think about alex your story you know i mean where there's some like literal incorporations of, of other identities and and is that but but there's such an intriguing way in which that story asks us but is that much different from what we do normally right i mean the pool right i don't have a pool that i just send down to and absorb my siblings but like that idea of you know i hear i'll hear my my brother say something right like in my head and, and, and I'll, i may act differently based on on what i anticipate a family member saying and so that was really just very refreshing uh, and kind of beautiful to, to get that. So we often discuss in this podcast, and I think we've touched on, on this to some degree already, but the, the functions of horror through the critical framework uh, given by a scholar named Linda Holland Toll 
of affirmative versus disaffirmative. And as a reminder to those of you listening, affirmative horror portrays the source of horror as threatening our social and cultural value systems, whereas disaffirmative horror is like, nope, <laughs> we're the problems, right? The value systems are ultimately the source of horror. Where would you place, and maybe not just these stories, but just sort of the bigger uh, body of your work, a horror within this framework? Or how do you think about what horror, quote, should do? Right? How does that affect your stories? I think personally, um, I think there's room for both approaches, of course, and there's um, definitely uh, great examples of both. Uh, personally, for more, my story and most of my work, I would say it is um, disaffirmative, um, mostly because um, a lot of it revolves around um, rigid structures um, that are proven evil um, by their influence. Um, most of my story is uh, sort of about being trapped in a, um, a traditional social structure and then breaking free of it and breaking it up. Um, and it's almost uh, sort of revolutionary in a way. But um, I would say, I mean, I'm kind of shooting from the hip here. I think most of the stories in this collection, if not all, um, have that same kind of disaffirmative streak. I wonder if that's a result of uh, the society that we're seeing around us now. We're seeing the cracks in the foundation. We're seeing things start to be uh, uh, bared, you know, brought to light. And it's start we're starting to realize that maybe things aren't the way they should be. Yeah, absolutely. I think about like what you were saying earlier, how everybody's been spending more time with their family and stuff lately because of the pandemic. But I also think um, of... Uh, QAnon and how that is uh, driven schisms through families everywhere um, and it suddenly family isn't necessarily a safe place anymore you often have to um, yeah. wage ideological war against your own family uh, sometimes and I think that definitely reflects in your writing because how our own kind of uh, implicit feelings about the family unit have changed over time right and you know this new generation we've been willing to make those hard choices where we decide, you know, this person in my family is not helpful to my mental health. They're not helpful to my lifestyle. So I need to maybe stick to, like Alex said, these families that we've created on our own, not necessarily the ones that are given to us. Yeah, absolutely. I also, I like to take, uh, I like stories that take kind of an affirmative premise and then take it in a, a disaffirmative direction. Um, like, I guess you could use my story as an example where it starts out with uh, the, a group of siblings and their, their mother dies. And so that, at, on the surface, it seems like, you know, our social unit is, is, has, is under attack from an outside force and that outside force is death. But then throughout the story, you have these characters who realize that their social unit was not what they thought it was at all. And uh, I think you can kind of take that same premise and apply it in, in other types of horror stories as well. You know, if you have a story where a monster is attacking your family, then you, you, you can have that monster sort of yeah, be that sort of affirmative force. But then as the family breaks down in response to the threat, um, you can really explore like deep characterization through, through that breakdown. And so I kind of like stories that I think in incorporate both sides. I think all of your stories do that to, to a certain degree, right? Because there's some outside force, be it, you know, the devil, a supernatural 
secret society, a migraine, right? But then we, we quickly realize that it's actually, you know, the family that might be the most dangerous, terrifying thing. And sometimes it's the family, like in Carson's story, that loves you the most, right? That just wants to not be alone. <laughs> Anthony, is there anything you would add to, to that, to this question? Uh, I think so. I mean, to some extent, I think, you know, Carson covered it really well um, uh, in terms of my own feelings, I think. So for me personally, like one of my big bugbears in life is that I'm really opposed to sort of hierarchical structure, hierarchical structure. And I try and express that through my fiction. And um, like, you know, like in my story, that's what, you know, the spiral is still kind of a metaphor for that. Like, you know, it's like these secretive group of predominantly straight white dudes who pull strings behind the scenes under the guise of, you know, whatever else is going on. But like, I personally sympathize a lot more with this sort of disaffirmative idea, um, which isn't to say that I don't think that the affirmative style of horror has its place. I think there is value in certain kinds of structure, for sure. You know, like the, you know, just basic human relationships or the basic sanctity of the human mind undisturbed. You know, if something disturbs your mind and then the story is about that and you're trying to get back to where your mind was you know, harmonious, then you could argue that's affirmative horror, but that's the kind of horror that I really enjoy myself and do write a little bit of now and again. So I think both have its place, but for me, I, I lean more towards the latter, uh, particularly with this story. Well, it has been just absolutely amazing getting to chat with you all today. So gearing up then for this, just one final question for each of you. Love to hear what is next from each of you and where all of our followers can get in touch with you. If you guys have any social medias, now would be a great time to share. Um, yeah, so just here, what are you guys working on individually and maybe collectively if you guys have another short collection coming in the works? Yeah. The Bloodlines 2, 100% confirmed. Um, we're setting <laughs> a hard date of the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> we can't talk about it anymore um we haven't actually talked about it before um <laughs> this is the first time hearing of it yeah so anyways that's I'm definitely in. gonna happen we're gonna pick a different theme um and this is gonna be a yearly tradition oh. till we all die um yeah amazing i have yeah. happy to not goodbye. only the death part but the <laughs> <laughs> um otherwise though i have a i have another um a chapbook collection coming out um, with another author, but it's not officially announced yet. Um, hopefully, that'll come out sometime this year. Um, it better than that because uh, it's very good. Well, thank you. He's a sweetheart. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you can find me at Carson Winter Three on Twitter and CarsonWinner.com is my website. And all of these, all of the official bios that you wrote, which were lovely, as well as all the information, social media is in the description below for this episode. Perfect. Um, I've got three releases coming out, three short stories. <laughs> yes, I am very lucky. I have a, uh, an anthology coming out from The Dread Machine, um, mixtape 1986. I have a story in there called Jaws. It doesn't have any sharks in it, so uh, just <laughs> be warned going in. Um, I have a story coming out in uh, Howls from the Dark Ages, which is um, Howl Society's uh, anthology for 2022. It's got a forward written by Christopher Buhlman. So I'm super excited about that. And, um, oh, what was the other one? Oh, the other one I can't talk about. <laughs> can you it's talk a, about your upcoming novel or no? 
Um, that novel is I'm I'm pitching it around for a representation. Uh, it's called Pushing Daisy. So if any agents are watching this and want to represent me, uh, my Twitter is Burgle Infernal. You can find it in the show notes. Excellent. Yes. Alex Anthony fights the death. Who wants to go next? Uh, Alex, you go first. Oh, that wasn't much of a fight, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, all four of us are in the early stages of working on um, another collaborative anthology with uh, a, di- a separate writing Discord group, um, and we're st- we're still working on the initial stories for that one. But I'm not so I'm not sure exactly when it'll end up. But two of us are in one of the anthologies, and two of us are in the other. Um, so that should be fun. Lots of great, talented writers that we're working with there. Um, I have a cosmic horror novel that I wrote a draft of back in. I think I finished the draft back in October. So I need to go back and um, do another round of edits for that and send it out to some beta readers. Um, and I've also been working on a couple of thriller novels, um, which I'm putting out under a pen name. So I have had uh, quite a bit of stuff that I've been working on, on lately. So I'm not sure exactly when the releases will happen for, for these things, but I'm definitely excited about all of them. Yeah, I can confirm those. that thriller is, is phenomenal. I know Carson read it as well, and we're just, it's, it's a page turner. Yeah, it's a fucking blast. It's so much fun. I think a lot of people are going to dig it. And that one, uh, that one is actually, it does have a release date. That one's coming out in March, the first one anyway. It's called The Neighbors, and I'm writing it under the pen name Alex Witcher. Uh, Witcher is my wife's last name, so I, and I wanted to keep it kind of separate from the horror stuff that I've been working on, so. I love Uh, that. Yeah. Witcher's a perfect name, too. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And then let's see, what am I doing? What, what do I do? Um, you got a podcast. You I do have a podcast. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've got a podcast called Terrify Me, which is about scary things in fact, fiction and folklore. Um, so I released that weekly uh, you on often Thursdays. You have speakers on, on your show too. Yeah. Basically, uh, I don't have a lot of spare time. So I do a lot of interviews because it's easier than like researching deep dives on weird folklore-ish things. But yeah, so I've, I've got... Uh, my next interview will be um, coming out uh, next Thursday, and that'll be uh, with Alex Woodrow, the, oh. who's a Romanian writer and the uh, uh, acquiring editor at Tenebrous Press. Um, I've interviewed people like Christy Nogle, who's fantastic. Uh, C.B. Jones is a really talented writer. Yeah, that's really fun. Um, aside from that, I'm just working on a lot of short fiction and poetry at the moment, trying to sell that. Um, yeah. I think that's about is all your, I'm doing. Is your poetry horror-ish as well? Some of it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's yeah. I, I don't think I'll be selling much of the poetry soon because I'm still sort of playing around with finding out exactly how I want to write it. I'm quite new to it, but yeah, I'm writing a fair bit of it. See what happens. I think that's one of my favorite things about so many of, of the the Howl members is how how many different modes of of writing and creation you all engage in that. You know, you, there may be that thing you return back to, but none of you has limited themselves to just one thing, right? So it's like, but wait, there's more. You want a full-length product? You want a podcast so you can hear a British accent? Right? <laughs> Whatever you want, we can deliver it to. That's that's really neat. I mean, that speaks also to, to your all's uh, individual talent because uh, that's not an easy feat to, to be playing with that many different modes of, of expression. Is there anything else that any of you were like, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm picking on Alex because he's like center for me on the screen. That like Alex is like, but the thing we didn't talk about is my 
or like Chris's guitar collection. We didn't never bring that up. <laughs> but Alex, that you don't have to be the one to, to have something to say. Um, that's it. That's all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah if you guys could just, um, anyone listening, just buy a fuck ton copies of our book. That'd be sick. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of ideal. Yeah. Um, Four, four to five copies for your family members. Um, it can also kind of send messages to them a little bit that you don't like them. Um, if that's something you would like to do, if you would like to make your gatherings more awkward. Um, oh, oh, yeah. My, my mom hasn't spoken to me since she read it. Oh, really? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I would want one of you to write the like a, a description, right? So it'd be like, dear family member. You should read this as a sign. Signed authors. Like if you'll if you'll do that for me, then I will happily hand them out to the family members I need to cut off from my life. Yeah. Like, make a little cameo video. Yes. No. <laughs> make for the most interesting Thanksgiving yet. Yes. For sure. I like that. And also, uh, when you read, because people will read uh, this great book, you should also leave a review wherever it is that you leave reviews, such as yes. Overlord's Amazon or Goodreads. <laughs> wherever you might do it um thank you all so much this has been fantastic thank you for having an idea and carrying it through i know there was a lot of challenges because it's not easy to be publishing uh in ways where you have to do all the things but uh if you hadn't had that we wouldn't have gotten this great book so thank you so much thank you so for... everybody go get go get your copy of bloodlines yeah. right now go support them it's yeah. amazing thank you so much that means thank a lot you. yes thank you excellent Christopher O'Halloran is a self-described, milk-slinging, Canadian actor-turned-author with work published or forthcoming from Hellbound Books, Tales to Terrify, and The Dread Machine. Fans of stories about vein removal and phoenix women against the patriarchy can visit his site for stories, reviews, and updates on his upcoming novel, Pushing Daisy. Anthony Frost is a factory worker, podcaster, and writer from Cambridgeshire, England. He lives with his wife and innumerable spiders. When not writing or reading, he can be found hosting Terrified Me, a podcast about scary things in fact, fiction, and folktale. Or, failing that, he'll be out in the fins poking things with sticks. Carson Winter is an author, punker, and raw nerve. His work has appeared in Apex, Vastarian, and the No Sleep Podcast. He lives in the Pacific Northwest. Alex Wolfgang is a horror writer from Oklahoma. His debut short story collection, Splinter and Other Stories, is available now. You can also find his work in Cosmic Horror Monthly, Nocturnal Transmission Podcast, and the anthology, Howls from Hell. When not reading and writing horror, you can find him hiking and camping, playing tennis, and watching movies. Thank you for listening to our nightmares. And have a spectacular day. <laughs>